Welcome to the Kauffman Foundation's Uncommon Voices series, in which we highlight people who are working to make sure all Americans, regardless of their race, gender, or geography, are able to share in our country's prosperity. With a decrease in revenue from fundraising and the unappreciated stress of being on the front lines of the fallout from the pandemic and economic crisis, nonprofits have faced a challenging year. Gloria Jackson Leathers, Kaufman's Vice President of Kansas City Civic, led a panel of nonprofit leaders from the Kansas City area to discuss challenges in the wake of COVID-19. She was joined by Dr. Dred Scott, President and CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Kansas City, and Luann Feehan, President and CEO of Nonprofit Connect. Here's Gloria. Well, good morning, Luann and Dr. Scott. Thank you so much for joining me this morning in a conversation to talk about the impact of nonprofit organizations. But before we get into that detail, let's start with a round of introductions. Luann, let's start with you. Gloria, thank you so much and the Kauffman Foundation for having me. I'm Luann Feehan, the CEO and president of an organization in Kansas City called Nonprofit Connect. Awesome, thank you. Hey, good morning, Gloria. Good morning, Luann. Uh, it's my, my honor to be uh, with you this morning. Dred Scott, President and CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Kansas City. Great, thank you. And I'm Gloria Jackson Lazarus, Vice President of KC Civic at the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation. Before we get started in our conversation today, I want to ground us in some data. Last year, Nonprofit Connect released a survey on the the economic impact of nonprofits in Kansas City. In it, we found that there are more than 12,569 registered nonprofits in Kansas City. Think about it. And one in nine Kansas Cityans are actually employed by a nonprofit organization. Collectively, these organizations' annual revenue is $18.5 billion. So if you think about Kansas City minus the nonprofit sector, we have a different Kansas City. Right now, our human service and social service organizations, nonprofit organizations are all on the front line. There are also some structural changes that are happening within our sector. We'll probably see more of that as we go along. Today, we're gonna to unpack some of those. So Luann, I know that early on within uh, the crisis, at the very beginning of this crisis, you and your team actually conducted a survey to, to really assess what's on the minds of nonprofit organizations. What are their greatest needs, hopes, and fears at this time? What stood out to you? What can we do or what should we be doing to address some of the needs uh, of nonprofit organizations as they stand right now? There's no doubt that the nonprofit sector has been hit really hard. And not only being hit hard, but as you mentioned, at the front line of so much of this with healthcare and food insecurity and daycare and um, family living centers. I mean, every area of, of the nonprofit sector has really had a great impact. Our survey indicated that 80% of our organizations will see an immediate and have received an immediate decrease in their revenues. And average revenue loss so far is 30%. And granted, some organizations are seeing losses larger than that, and others maybe not as large, but the average is right at 30%. Any, any follow-on thoughts to Luann's um, findings with the survey? Yeah, I, uh, 
I agree with Luann that uh, it's a, this pandemic has, has really brought to light, I think, challenges that uh, we as, as MPOs um, face um, on a daily basis. I mean, it really has shined a spotlight on uh, the ability to effectively fundraise. And I, I think we all know uh, as part of this conversation that uh, the model around resource development uh, has been shifting and it's been shifting for a long time. I really appreciate the um, Kansas City community and the way it stepped up in response to the COVID crisis and developing the COVID re release fund that's held at the Community Foundation. That fund has been probably the lifeline for many volatile nonprofit organizations at this time. You know, last I checked, they had dispersed more than $8 million to about 109 different nonprofit organizations. And while I don't know the details of each of those grants, I suspect that nonprofit organizations are beginning to ask more questions and, you know, to include the technology and their true needs in their budgets. And so sometimes it is incumbent on the nonprofit to really just say what you need. Well, I'll, I'll weigh in first and then Luann can you know, fill in all the gaps. I think uh, what we try to do uh, under my watch is assess um, our technology needs and resources across the organization. Of course, we work with youth ages five to 18 across the Kansas City Metro. And so technology is a, a major pillar of our programming and uh, the support that we want to provide to the youth that we serve but there's also an infrastructure component, right, Gloria? Right. Uh, you know, so we have to be able to operate. We're, we're a business, um, and, and within that business, we have to be able to communicate effectively. We have to be able to, um, you know, access information in a timely fashion. We need to be able to process uh, information in a timely fashion as well. It's a challenging proposal for uh, funders to um, support. Um, because it's not one of those sexy items, right? Um, it's it's something that is it goes unseen and it's it's behind the curtain, mm -hmm. but it's vital nonetheless. And I understand that there is sometimes an innate fear to put too much into the budget, but fear if you're over asking, you're being greedy. All those things I've heard it all, but I think in our order to have a really sound budget and have a chance at getting the support that you need to run an, an effective organization, you have to just be really honest in terms of what you need. All a funder can do is assess and determine whether or not we'll support it. And it plays out in a number of ways, Gloria. I, I think, you know, as nonprofits, uh, when it comes to um, seeking resources and seeking funds, we, we do this delicate dance uh, when we are, are we're, we're speaking with a, a funder or a supporter, uh, we want to show and demonstrate all of the good um, that is happening in our organization and the great impact uh, that we're having. And if you're not careful, um, you know, you can very easily, uh, you know, paint this picture of the world through um, rose-tinted glasses. And um, I, I think that that's somewhat unfair to those that are investing in your overall mission. Uh, for your close friends, for your close supporters, mm -hmm. you need to be transparent and bear on the truth. Even if that means um, acknowledging uh, components of the organization of the overall mission, uh, that you're not quite hitting the mark on and that you need additional support 
um, uh, in order to achieve. So I think, you know, that transparency piece uh, and being authentic, you know, while it starts with the individual and permeates through the organization, it extends to those that are connected with the organization and wants to uh, support the organization. Mm -hmm. I think that's spot on. If I could just um, add on to that just a little bit too, when it comes to getting our supplies and our operational needs, I get really sensitive about getting hand-me-downs in our sector when, mm-hmm. when we are nonprofit businesses trying to serve our community like anyone else. So we have the issue of, of the pandemic. We have the protest. All of those things that uh, disproportionately and seemingly always affect black people the most and people of color. But also coupled with that, we have a third leg of the stool to contend with in this environment. And that third leg is uh, black and brown leaders in the nonprofit sector come to this pandemic, you know, in a more deficit position than others. So I want us to talk a little bit about that issue and some of the things, Luann, I know that you're doing with respect to that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start off by, by saying that I've seen it firsthand, Gloria, and mm-hmm. it's, it's really um, disheartening. I've seen mm-hmm. it firsthand with executive directors that are working really hard to make their organizations blossom mm-hmm. and to serve the people that they're working to serve. I think the pandemic makes it even harder, unfortunately, for people of color and specifically black and brown people to get the funding that they need. In the business community, we have a lot of small business and we know that small business is the backbone of of the business community. I would say small organizations are the backbone of the nonprofit sector as well. And we have so many organizations that are small, that are being led by leaders of color, that are not getting the same opportunities, they're not getting the same doors open and they are not getting the same funding that other organizations are are achieving and um that's got to change it's time to change and and i want to remain hopeful that there is an awakening in our sector and the funding communities specifically that will help change that yeah so i'll add and and, uh really great comments i agree with everything that that luann said i would say um you know i think there's a need for some honest, open dialogue uh, mm-hmm. about this issue. Um, we need to have more conversations like this, including uh, the major foundations and, and funders uh, across the metro, uh, just to peel back um, the curtain uh, to look at the very real circumstance that we have uh, within our community when it comes to uh, race and the impact of um, you know, uh, that, that black and brown uh, people feel in general, and then we can start talking about uh, leadership and, and representation and fair access to, mm-hmm. uh, to resources. I think locally, when you talk about the relief funds that have been established, which is great, and I love Kansas City and the philanthropic spirit mm-hmm. that we have here, uh, I think it's tremendous. I'm very um, appreciative uh, to be able to work in, in this great city that I call home. Uh, but even with relief funds, if we're not careful, uh, the more well-known, the more prominent organizations are able to access large, larger portions uh, of those resources, leaving those smaller organizations many times being led by people of color uh, without access. So, Luann, I want to turn to you. You know, we mentioned that a couple of times, and, and that seems to be sort of a theme today in terms of 
you know, who's out front, who's helping to really carry the water in this uh, time of crises. And nonprofit leaders, nonprofit workers are certainly among those frontline workers. But I'm also understanding that many of them also have you know, the same trauma or suffer the same trauma as other frontline workers as they go about their work day to day. Can you talk a little bit about um, that traumatic experience uh, some nonprofit workers are having right now? There is a spike in this and and probably across the country, right? Because you're absolutely right. Nonprofits are at the front line of this. And every day they are helping human beings and addressing this natural trauma that is occurring in healthcare. Or they're working with individuals that have lost all their income, they've lost their jobs. And maybe for the first time, they have found a nonprofit to help them find food, to help them find security and just making it for another month. It's the nonprofit professional that is working with those people on a regular basis as they're experiencing their own sense of trauma mm -hmm. and security. The nonprofit professional is right there with them trying to find solutions. Mm -hmm. the term for it, it's called secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. Secondary trauma is when you are facing people on the front line of trauma day after day hour after hour and for longer days than they probably want to put in, that this has an effect on all of them for enduring it on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. I spoke with uh, an executive director just yesterday who was in need of a, a sounding board. And he says, I wake up every day crying. And this is so out of his character if he knew who this was. He wakes up crying because he knows that his employees are gonna get up again today and go to the front lines and work with individuals that are really desperately in need. And at the same time that they're putting their health mm -hmm. and family's health in harm's way. And to know that he is the leader of all of that was pretty heavy on his heart. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And as you were talking, uh, Luann, also <clears throat> couldn't help but think about you and, and Dr. Scott here, like, don't forget to take care of yourselves while you're overseeing all of this that's going on because this is new for all of us. I mean, we're not actually working from a playbook right now. We're sort of making it up as we go along. So I appreciate that, but I would also encourage the two of you and other nonprofit leaders to take time for self-care for yourselves. You can't do for others until you, you yourselves are healthy, right? So. I just wanted to underscore what you were saying. Thank you so much for that. So if I could add to uh, Luann's great comments about secondary trauma, um, she her comments were really around the impact of the pandemic and uh, the, the very real fears and anxiety mm -hmm. uh, that you know, individuals that are working for nonprofits are facing when they're working on the front lines. And I appreciate that. I, I've seen that uh, play out in my organization. Uh, as well. I mean, there are very real fears out there. Um, you know, when we looked at the prospect of uh, reopening our clubs and having um, children back in the clubs in front of uh, our staff, uh, there were very real fears around the potential transmission of virus, um, etc. But I also wanted to uh, really talk about the uh, secondary trauma that may be playing out based on this uh, entire um, conversation and discussion around race 
uh, that we're, we're living through right now. I will tell you that, you know, when you look at nonprofits, I'll speak for mine uh, specifically, the majority of um, those that I employ live in uh, the communities that we work in. Therefore, they're representative of those communities. And so we have high percentages of black and brown employees that uh, work within the organization that are trying to make a difference with the kids that we serve every day. Well, they have their own life experiences. They have their own situations and stories uh, of, you know, interactions with uh, police officers, some good, some bad, uh, their own interactions and, and confrontations with racism uh, and disparities. And so when uh, situations uh, and uprisings occur where uh, we start to see uh, kind of a national focus on these very real issues that have been a part of our country since its inception, um, that begins to manifest um, some of the, the, the trauma uh, that those staff members uh, have, uh, have experienced and, and uh, are, are trying to deal with themselves. And so, you know, I think it's important that as MPOs, we recognize that, you know, our employees need an opportunity to uh, decompress and to be vulnerable and to share and to have dialogue around these very important issues. And it's an incumbent upon us as leaders to uh, provide that atmosphere and the opportunity in order for them to do that. Uh, I've heard a call for that, even within my own organization. They want to know what we stand for as an organization, mm -hmm. what we support, what we commit to doing in order to bring about positive change. And they want to know uh, that they are safe enough to express um, their concerns, their emotions um, in a way that um, we hope is constructive, but acknowledges that they have very real feelings um, as well. So um, when we talk about that, that secondary trauma, very much uh, related to the pandemic and all of the fears and anxiety related to that. But now that we've got this added um, layer of complexity, of complexity uh, dealing with race and, and race issues in our country, that's just uh, you know even more um, evidence that uh, we need to acknowledge that secondary trauma and be there for our staff uh, so that they can continue to do uh, the heroic work that they do on a daily basis. Awesome. Thank you, Judd. I think this is just the first step to have a community conversation about some of the issues that we're each facing during this pandemic. And I, I think that if we don't take this opportunity to reassess and rethink some of the work we're doing, how we're doing, how we're doing it as well, um, would be an opportunity missed. And so any other thoughts that you might, might have that uh, we want to share before we start to, to wind down today? I think one area that we haven't quite touched upon is the importance um, of including nonprofit leadership in decisions that are being made, um, uh, particularly um, you know, in times of crisis. So you think about this pandemic mm -hmm. and all of the uh, information that was was flowing through from the national, state, and local level, and uh, key leaders at each of those levels were making decisions that had uh, significant impact on all of us, uh, significant impact on uh, businesses, um, organizations, on families, and on individuals. And what I saw was, um, 
you know, these opportunities for uh, business and corporate leaders uh, to have a seat at the table, uh, leadership, you know, from the political realm, um, working together to make these decisions. What I didn't see represented um, to a significant degree uh, are, is the leadership from the nonprofit sector uh, to have a voice, have a seat at the table to influence some of the decisions that were, were being made. So let me give you a specific example. Uh, right now, as um, the, uh, the, the COVID-19 virus is hopefully subsiding a bit and people are uh, looking at the prospect of returning to work, um, all of a sudden, there's been this conversation around the need for childcare, the gap in uh, providing uh, safe and, and uh, constructive places for young people to be. Uh, as the parents uh, return to work, especially when schools, traditional schools are closed. Um, that's, a, that's an issue that had the right people been sitting at the, at the table during the uh, decision-making process, those are things that could have been discussed and planned for and addressed uh, as part of the overall plan. It's very important that we as nonprofit uh, organization leaders um, have that voice uh, and are part of that community conversation so that we can lend our area of expertise and our resources and our experiences to that conversation leading to uh, high quality decisions. You are so right on so many ways that why, why is it that it's so hard for anyone in the nonprofit sector to get invited to be that voice around the table? understand this at all, whether it is in city, local, state, federal, it is hard to be that voice. Yet nonprofits fill the gap. Nonprofits fill the gap of what, what shortfalls may be happening in government to what is happening in the real world society. We pick up the gaps, we, out, we do it with very little money and with huge heart. We're working lean, mean machines, but don't ever I shouldn't say ever, we hardly ever get asked to sit around the table of the business community or whatever the city is deciding on how it affects our community. And I right. certainly hope that in this um, era that we're in right now, I hope that there is enough momentum. I hope that there is an awakening. Mm -hmm. The nonprofits are at the front line of this. Mm -hmm. We are doing everything that we can mm -hmm. and making a difference. And we need to be recognized for that. And we need to be um, heard and included in those conversations. Um, it's time, right? I think what people don't recognize is just how much the nonprofit sector is involved in our lives. We get our health care, our education, our life skills, our entertainment, our culture, and our comfort in the sunset of our life is coming from the work of the nonprofit sector. Here in Kansas City, it's 14% of the economy which is more than manufacturing, which is more than finance, which is more than construction, which is more than hospitality. Thank you, Dred, for getting me on that soapbox. Thank you both for your, you know, passionate uh, definitions of nonprofit organizations and helping all of us to better understand the impact of nonprofit organizations. We started the session by giving you the data points but I think you just really sort of brought it home to make people really understand what a nonprofit is and the importance of nonprofit organizations in all of our lives. 
as we close today, I'm going to um, leave you with just a comment from our founder, Ewing Marion Kaufman. The quote that I wanted to share was my favorite quote by our founder. It says, all the money in the world cannot solve problems unless we work together. And if we work together, there's no problem in the world that can stop us as we seek to develop people to their highest potential and their best potential. And I think that's what we're all trying to do today in our unique ways and through our different organizations. So I wanna thank both of you for joining me in this conversations today. You've really enlightened me about some things that are going on on the inside of your organizations that I wasn't aware of. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gloria. Okay. Thank you, Gloria. And thank you for the work and the support that you give to the nonprofit sector. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Kauffman Foundation podcast. For more stories on growing an inclusive economy, please visit us at emkf.org forward slash podcast. The Uncommon Voices series brings new perspectives and opinions on topics related to the Kauffman Foundation's work. The perspectives of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kauffman Foundation, but are presented here to celebrate uncommon voices and civil discourse to move conversations forward.